Mario's here. Welcome, guys. It's Wednesday night, Generational Change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter, and I look like I just came from an event, which I did. Looks like you're selling whatever it is, Dell Technologies. Well, I can sell just about anything. I know you can. That's my specialty. <laughs> Your speciality. So, obviously, it's a... Uh, it's an interesting day today. It's a really interesting day. Well, what, what happened today? We've got to talk about what happened today. Are you talking about I'll the Johnny you know Depp? exactly what happened to Johnny You Depp. shouldn't give those away for free. I think they should be clips. No, I'm not going to give them away for Don't free. Don't give them away. But obviously, um, this is a... The, the outcome of the case is not entirely surprising. I thought that, she, you know, his, his, case, his, his case was pretty... I wouldn't say airtight, but it was pretty good... Um, she looked like a completely guilt-ridden person from the very beginning. Um, and that's, uh, again, um, people have different motivations as to why they do what they do, but everyone has reacted differently to this. Jen, the attorney, what did you think of the case? What did you think I honestly that? didn't really follow this because this wasn't something that really interested me. It wasn't like that big of a, it, first of all, I feel like Nobody's life or liberty is at stake. It's, no. it's a little bit of a different situation. It's a civil suit between, I don't know. I just, I didn't really care, to be honest with you. I've always liked Johnny Depp. Um, her little tantrum about him a few years ago didn't change that for me because I kind of always saw her as a grifter. Um, but I don't, you know, I just don't generally care about Hollywood drama. Like that's just not something I care about. And good for him to be vindicated. There is that. Yeah, I mean, he really did lose his career, and he he was did a, not lose his career. That's no, the other thing. To exactly what he was. Yes, he did. I mean, look, the guy he still speaking, does amazing. No, well, he made he he ain't making the money he was once making. Not even close. So uh, I don't know the I, I didn't read. But is that because of her thinking. specifically? Well, I they don't suggest think so. that that's the biggest reason why he lost. Well, they money. didn't think that much because he money. didn't get that much money. No, he got fifteen million. I mean, mm -hmm. that's and that's then a lot she got two. Yeah. So really, if you split the difference, he gets $13 million. Then you have uh, attorney fees and things well, like that. Well, they'll take, you know, taxes. you got to figure like at least 25% of that at least. All right. So he's walking away at $10 million. He'll get some money from her. Not, but not, not, you know, I guess knowing how he spends money, he'll live on that for a few years. Who is she currently grifting for which to pay her portion is what I want to know. Well, like, Again. where is she from? Like, who is she? Like, why do people even know who that is? Like, what is, I, I, again, well, I don't she's get a, it. Look, she's a, a tall, attractive blonde who's had a lot of things break me. right for her. I don't find her remotely attractive. Okay. Well, and so maybe that's because I think that she's a vile, you know, you know. Oh, I don't think she's a good person at all. I don't know. Well, to me, that makes um, somebody unattractive. And I sure. don't, and there's plenty of physically good looking people that if you don't also have something kind of positive about you, oh, I to agree me, I just 100%. find you like, I just don't find you appealing. Yeah. Well, you know, there's enough attractive people. Yeah. But there's also something to be said for people who are attracted to people who are just jerks. <laughs> men like women who are nasty fuckers and just like, and men women like, like women, like men that abuse them in a lot yeah, of cases and treat them like shit and don't treat them like they're worthy. So I don't know. I think people have low confidence and allow it to happen on both sides. Oh, I, and again, it's, uh, and, it, it, um, it, unfortunately, this is a case that is getting way too much attention and it's going to continue to get attention going forward. A lot of people are going to be breaking it down. You have people that are coming out in defense of Amber Heard. Is I that right, know. John? Because that even, that makes me dislike her even more, which I didn't know was possible. Yeah, she was having an affair with Elon Musk. Okay, that's, that's disgusting. True. Well, to me, I can't even stomach anybody who would be with Elon Well, Musk. unfortunately, during the trial, it came out that there was video footage of her and him in the elevator together. Like that's so was, disgusting. And this is when they were, when he, when she was married to him and, and to Depp. And okay. So obviously when that happens, I mean, that's that's, uh, you know, 
yeah, he lost his Wizarding World role, even though it's person thought it was. I yeah. I I just I think that um, it, you know what you need to use good judgment when engaging with certain people because this is one of those things where people when people show you who they are believe them. I don't think this was something that was so out of character and out of the blue. I think he was somehow at some point attracted to the drama and then it just got really really old. I think it takes two people to enable that kind of dysfunctional relationship, and um, she does sound like a gold digging psycho. And I'm sure she'll move on to whoever her next person is. And the fact that she was with Elon Musk just clarifies that to the nth degree. Well, a lot of people think that this is going to essentially end her career in the sense that she's never going to get any big movie roles anymore. They did a petition, a petition to get her off of Aquaman 2. It's got four and a half million signatures. Yeah, this is only the truth is, is that from his part, this was a really good PR move because he knew that he didn't do anything. And it's a way to sort of get his career back on track because he comes off absolutely looking like much more endearing and she comes off looking like a total cunt. And I'm sure he's no saint. And obviously she is, um, you know, probably not the total devil that people make her out to be. But at the end of the day, uh, yeah, again, she's pretty smarmy. I got to tell you, she's she's pretty skanky. Because this is not, well, you shouldn't even say that. Uh, but the- oh, I think that people, oh, I will most definitely say skanky ho. You be with people for their money, you a ho. Okay. Well, she's definitely, uh, she definitely only goes for men or women for that matter that are of significant means. Let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, that's, that's what I'm saying. Well, I guess, look, some people that's think that there are a certain class of people and that's all that they are entitled to hang out with, that they're, I guess, above reproach. Would that be a better way of putting it? I just can't fathom how any woman in the universe would fuck Elon Musk. That's what I can't fathom for any amount of money. Like there is no amount of money. There is no amount of money. Can't get the look, can't get the sight out of your head. I honestly, no, no, I can't. And quite honestly, the way he looks now is how he used to look with a Kim Jong-un wig on his head. Cause that's what he looks like. It's not a wig, it's hair plugs. Well, it's a rug that he paid for. I don't care if it's made out of real hair. It's a paid for rug. He is, he disgusts me to know. Well, the truth is all those guys do. So the fact that there's women that sleep with these men, there is no way that it has nothing to do with their money because they are so disgusting. Uh, I guess the price is right. And with Elon, it's. I would, I would be, if that were the last man on earth, I would just be celibate. That's great. I would. I would. But of course, uh, unfortunately, there are also levels of this. That's fair. I think John brings up a good point. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, there are different levels, but I would definitely say uh, because Amber does have a history of not so good behavior. Excuse me. Did she or did she not shit on his bed? Yeah, that's pretty sick. Okay, let me tell you something from uh, from what this is the thing. And I say this with endearment to all men out there. You should always have a female person in your life, vet a woman that you're newly dating. I assure you that women can recognize the crazy way better than any of you men can. I will say this. I dated a woman once where my closest female friend told me point blank, like right off the bat, stay away from her. And sure enough, I should have listened to her. This is what I've said. Yeah. No, that was. And I don't care. You know what? You're right. People do things for different reasons. Yeah. But any type of anybody who shits on someone's bed, You get called a gold digging psycho. You fall. I'm sorry. That's what you get. And that is not to diminish people that have actual mental illness. That's why I use the term psycho. Shit the bed. Literally. 
That's disgusting. Literally. Shit the bed. That's And we're talking intentionally, yes? Yeah. I mean, well, it's okay. Because like if she was having a medical condition and that happened, I wouldn't feel the same way. No, and I think that that's fair. But But intentionally shit the bed? That is, but I think it speaks to the bigger issue here about the T, you know, again, the TMZification of our society, the things that we focus on, the things that are allowed by corporate media to get front and center and repeat, repeat, repeat on verbatim. Uh, The things that should be on TV are not. And you can think of any of the cases that just happened, regardless of what you think regarding uh, Michael Sussman. uh, It was a case that I could be wrong, but federal cases are not allowed to be, uh, the courtroom cannot videotape. Is that, is that true? Um, yeah, I believe so. I'm trying to think if there's been a federal case that we, yeah, no, I would, it, no, because what we don't get to, no, I don't think so. So a lot of people that were out there uh, that were complaining as a result of the case that, you know, you didn't have, uh, you know, you didn't have the, you didn't have the Sussman case. You didn't have the Harvey Weinstein case or even the Jeffrey Epstein or Jillian Maxwell cases that were even, they couldn't even give real coverage to, even if it wasn't on TV. And the truth of the matter is when it comes to a story like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, and not to say that it wasn't important and that it didn't have relevancy to everything that's going on today on the grand scheme, on the grand scheme of things, it's very low. Right. Very, very low. It doesn't rise to like the Bill Cosby level of necessary action in terms of the fact, again, civil litigation to me, it's sort of like that just is it's personal drama. You know what I mean? If there was anything so significant, then it would be criminal. And then we'd be having a different discussion. So if it doesn't rise to the level of that, I kind of look at it like it's your personal drama. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. But you know what happens with personal drama of quasi multimillionaire celebrities? People give, seem to care more about that than anything else, which is unfortunate. But, you know, we've got something much, more, we've got something much more important to care about as far as I can tell. You what mean do you real think? things? I well, think again. real things we could talk right. about. Kind of like uh, one of the – where would I put Representative Peters in San Diego uh, on the list of bad congressional representatives regardless of what party they're in? Because there is only one party in California, and everyone knows that. It's – well, actually, it's two. It's corporate Democrat and progressive Democrat. So the, the GOP doesn't even really matter. Uh, but what I will say We is, can get to that at the end, Chris. We yeah. could do that at the end. Oh, I will be. Mr. Clinton will be making an appearance at we, the end to talk about this case. We'll Don't talk worry. about that, yeah. So w- without further ado, we are very pleased to have with us who I believe is going to be an excellent challenger, regardless of what happens on Tuesday. I believe that if we are going to really hone in on one of the absolute worst corporate Democrats, and interestingly enough, one of the worst Democratic representatives in the whole country is so very, very close to maybe the best Democratic representative in Katie Porter. It's amazing. You've got it. You get that one great representative, and then there's got to be a whole bunch of crappy. Well, ones I was going to say, I'm not sure. Where, where's 50? What 50, is that? It is uh, San Diego. San Diego. So without further ado, we are very pleased to welcome the, best the challenger. Well, the best. Yes. Yeah, the the only true. place in California that I would ever live, like if I had to live somewhere that ridiculously expensive and where I could fall off the face of the earth, 
the only place in there that I would live was San Diego. La Jolla is considered the most desirable place in the United yeah, States that's, to live. That's, it is considered. Yeah, and I would, I wouldn't. That's a little elitist for me. I, I'm, well, I'm. You don't have four million dollars to drop on a house. At least. Oh, just, just go dig it up in the yard. I, you I might know, find but it it's somewhere. Very pretty there. Hey, I maybe like there's it. still a gold rush somewhere in Southern California that just hasn't been discovered. And yet. it's you also, it's also like the original home of the fish taco. Ah, well, we could talk about that. It's like one of the original fish taco places that got big was started in in there. Kylie Titano, welcome to Generational Change. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. Can you? Am I coming in clear? Yeah, absolutely. Now, did I did I get the last name correct? Did I actually say it right? It's Titano, and we can get into you know my heritage, but it's actually um, a surviving Chamorro. I'm indigenous Chamorro from Guam, Mm -hmm. um, surname from colonization, and literally translated, it means um, landless. So Thai means without, uh, Tanu means land, um, and so it's without land. And what I say on the campaign trail is, if we don't don't solve for the climate crisis, we will be landless. Yeah, no, that's really true. That's really interesting. I haven't met anybody from Guam, like where I've been able to ask like dorky ass questions. Like, so before us being involved in your personal business over there and doing what we do best, what is the history there? Like, what is the, like, what would be, I mean, you're talking about, um, Pacific Islanders. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's that. Okay. All right. I'm just trying to understand. I know where it is, but I don't know. Like that's the heritage. That's the background is like that Pacific Islander. Yeah. And unfortunately, we are only Guam is only in the news when, you know, North Korea is going to send nukes or whatnot and threatens, uh, you know, or threatens the United States because we are, are very, very close to Asia, about three hours um, flight away. Um, but, you know, my heritage is my heritage is super important to me um, when I decided to run. And, and please stop me if you want to talk about something else. But no, this is really cool to me. I like this. Can, yeah. Yeah. In terms of Guam's. Um, you know, our history. I mean, we were one of the first islands that were populated when, um, you know, the, the, the um, Austronesian people had come from Asia. So that's really interesting. And um, yeah, my heritage is super important to me. We were originally colonized by the Portuguese and then the Spanish. And then in the Spanish-American War, that's when um, we became an American territory. And then back during, during World War II, we were under a Jap- Japanese-occupied Guam. And then um, we were able to go back into American hands. And it's been that way since. Um, but yeah, we're a U.S. territory. And what I tell people is that, you know, I would be the first tomorrow um, well, it, when elected to ha- actually have voting represented uh, representation in Congress. So um, we, we do send a delegate to Congress from Guam. But I tell people that, you know, we the, the congressperson from Guam and then myself here in San Diego, born on the same island, probably share a lot of the same family, um, went to the same schools, et cetera, et cetera. But one of us will be able to vote and one of us can't. Like if I were to move back to Guam right now, I wouldn't be able to vote because it's purely based on residency. Right. So, but obviously you care about other issues and, and things that affect all people. And, you know, certainly in San Diego, it's extremely diverse there. I mean, yeah, there's definitely huge um, Asian, all different Asian culture, but it's, it's everybody. So um, talk a little bit about the demographics of your district, because I know you guys have the same kind of housing nightmare, the income inequality, like, you know, all that stuff. But you know, talk about what anything specific to your district that's that's interesting in that regard. 
Yeah. I mean, with the redistricting that happened during the census, we went from a blue district to a solidly blue district. I've seen anything from D plus 14 to D plus 26. Um, wow. So it's it's very, very solidly blue and very progressive. Um, so the way that I got started in politics was actually supporting Senator Bernie Sanders. So um, I work full time as a software engineer. I run my own nonprofit to teach young women how to code. So on top of doing both of those things um, during the 2020 primary, I actually dedicated like 15 hours of my time um, towards volunteering for his campaign and um, was able to organize dozens of volunteers to knock on thousands of doors within the district. And it is a little bit more of an affluent district. But again, through the groundwork that we did two years ago, um, we found that people really resonate with progressive values. Yeah. So what what is the primary field look like for you? Are you the only person in there that's like in your lane? I am the only progressive. I'm the only woman and person of color running in a field of five. So it's, con- <laughs> so it's Congressional District 52, correct? Did 50, I make that? 50, we got mm-hmm. so, uh, so Representative Peters is now running in 50 instead of 52. Is that how this is working or am I mixing up the, the candidates? Yeah, no, that, that's right. Yeah, because we, we lost a congressional seat here in California. So now we only have 52 um, representatives of California. And so we got redistricted into 50. Scott Peters is one of the biggest corporate uh, Democrats, or as you like to call them. Whores. Uh, you know, corporate got, whores. And so, well, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but he yeah. is somebody who has flown under the radar for quite some time. Uh, he does not get anywhere near, uh, again, you know, Jen ran for Congress against Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And if it ever happens again, obviously, uh, the spotlight will be very bright. Um, we know of a lot of these other corporate Democrats uh, that really come to mind. Akeem Jeffries, obviously, of note. Uh, there's a few others in California. Yeah. Uh you know, obviously, Brad Sherman looks like he's uh, taking a really uh, tough challenge right now in Sherman Oaks, which is great. But Scott Peters is not getting anywhere near uh, the type of attention that he should get. And he votes against every form of progressive legislation. And I mean every form. Uh, so please, the floor is yours. Share, uh, you know, your campaign against him uh, and why you think he's not, why this is not getting the uh, proper attention, if you will. And why does he suck? Really? Just talk about yeah. it. No, I mean, it's okay to point it out when it's based on facts and it's not personal. And then you say, and this is what I propose instead. It can't just be, oh, they're horrible. But yeah, we want to know like why this person should be replaced. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I will not be um, Big Pharma's favorite representative for sure. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, Representative Peters, you know, to give him credit, he did flip this district in whatever form it was, you know, a decade ago from red to blue. And so since, you know, he's been in office for 10 years, we've gotten, like I said, even more solidly blue. Um, uh, he's He is Big Pharma's favorite representative. And um, what's interesting about San Diego, which I think is a misconception, is that, it, you know, it was a military town. It was a little bit more um, Republican to moderate, but again, it's flipped so much in the last 10 years. So, um, he, of our democratic delegation, he is the only one to not sign on to the green new deal or Medicare for all the other four, uh, three representatives, representative Sarah Jacobs, representative Juan Vargas, representative Mike Levin, all who represent parts of San Diego have signed on to the green new deal and Medicare for all. So that kind of tells you, um, what the surrounding area is like. 
And so, you know, we're running a campaign that's grassroots, of course, and very progressive. And what we're finding at the doors is that people are really upset at the decisions that he made, particularly with um, the ability to negotiate down drug prices. And so um, a lot of the constituents that we have talked to see right through that. I mean, he's tried to take back the narrative saying that I am for lowering prescription drug prices. But when you vote with Republicans to basically nuke it down and come up with a more watered down version that is super complicated and it actually doesn't help as many people as he says it does, um, I can tell you that people, voters are really, really just seeing right through that. How does the party treat you there? You know, um, the Democratic Party in San Diego is very active and, um, you know, they are they're open to me. A lot of Democratic clubs have, you know, endorsed um, Representative Peters, but I think it's just because he's the incumbent. They've been nice to me and they've been like, you know, keep trying wait, kind of wait your turnish, but um, in a very positive way. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to keep doing my thing, knocking on doors. Yeah, and then- <laughs> In a nice patriarchal, you know, type of way, we're going to, you know, tell you to wait your turn. I'm very familiar, but it sounds like they just have, it's a much more kinder, gentler version of what we deal with. I think that people just don't like to challenge um, infrastructure and incumbency and power. It's not a question of whether they think it could be better. I'm sure most of them do. Um, I don't know if uh, your representative uh, rules with an iron fist, but that is a huge problem in a lot of various districts. Um, you know, it's funny on the GOP side, everybody is wondering, you know, how does uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example, get away with her behavior in Georgia? And the truth is, is that and this came out recently that I found out about is that she rules with an iron fist. She basically gets everybody in line and there's a lot of, uh, you know, hand twisting and God knows what else that goes on behind the scenes that we don't see. So even if up front or even in private, people are saying we really don't care very much for Representative Peters, but our hands are tied. There isn't much we can do. Because, yes, he will uh, make heads roll, if you will, if for whatever reason people choose to get out of line. But his record is extremely corporate. Like, it, it's um, it's worse than several GOP representatives. So when you get to that level, it's kind of like, yeah, you flip the district blue, but what the hell's the point? Exactly. So, yeah, and I think what you said about Um, you know, Representative Peters flying under the radar. I mean, that's what he's kind of resting on, that people don't really know what his record is. And we're finding again at the doors that once we tell them, we don't even have to tell them everything. We pick one thing like the drug pricing, um, you know, debacle, and people take a second look and they're like, what? So, um, you know, I think it, it, it felt like when we launched our campaign, there was a decision that I had to make about, okay, how do we, do we nationalize the race? Do we keep it local for now? And um, we decided to just keep it local for now. Cause again, I know that there's a lot of, of great progressives who are running. Um, and we are very fortunate in California to have an open primary system where we just need to get through the top two. And we have people whose ballots are being mailed right to their doorstep. So it is a little bit easier um, but that doesn't mean, you know, we're not working just as hard as the other progressive candidates who are running. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's hard. It's hard no matter any way you go about doing it. It's a hard thing to do, especially put yourself out there. I mean, I know. So yeah, and one of the big primaries that's coming up, which I believe is District 32, I want to say, which is Brad Sherman's district. There are two really solid candidates that are running there in uh, Sherman Azami and Erica Rhodes. And, you know, regardless of 
who wins? I mean, obviously, Brad Sherman's going to be, you know, he's going to be one of the two candidates, obviously. But if one of them breaks through, you know, building up that momentum makes it a lot easier to form sort of like a coalition, if you will, yeah. going to the general, regardless of who breaks through. So even if you're not a fan of jungle primaries, well, it's better you know than what? not. It's better than what we have right it's better now. better than what we have, for sure. For yeah. sure. Absolutely. Like our, I feel like there would have been so much more pressure to, um, you know, outperform Representative Peters if we didn't have a jungle open primary. And um, even, you know, we, we've been able, thankfully, to raise the second amount most um, in comparison to him. Of course, it's peanuts. Right. Um, but I, again, I think it's just a reflection of like people wanting progressive change and just to state for the record, not taking any corporate money, everything that we've raised has been due to, um, you know, small dollar donors who believe in us. Yeah, just, you know, it's it's amazing to me that um, people, you know, when you tell them this is what's going on, there's so many people that they had no idea because most people don't follow it. They don't pay attention, even in places where like our representative is known nationally, but locally still, most people don't follow. Most people aren't interested in politics. And when you tell them, <clears throat> that's great. Our biggest challenge is getting those people out to vote, right? Like once you talk to people, there's a big consensus. Most people are on the same page about these issues when you talk about corporatism and stuff like that. It's just a matter on the left side of the getting out the vote. Like that is the key thing because they are not going to get new voters on their side. They rely on their old faithful continued voters, new people, young people are not coming out of school and being like, Oh yeah, I want to vote for that corporate guy. He speaks to me. Like that's not the case. So we're only gaining voters. The question is, do they come out and vote? And that's the, that's the, Big push. And also the fact that our generations, respectively, uh, you know, have grown exceptionally impatient. And it's not totally unwarranted. I mean, again, we don't have a living wage. We do not have universal health care. We have ridiculous runaway inflation. Inflation in California is probably the worst in the country. And, you know, this is uh, this is bad. Um, you know, we talk about, situa you know, how do you deal with these situations? I mean, we're huge advocates for, you know, community involvement, such as building you know, community gardens, for example, uh, that would be a, making. A huge, well, I support know. smaller, sustainable communities, but um, yeah. like, what are the big issues that you know that that are you're seeing the need for in your district that is not being handled? Um, obviously, climate is a big issue, and you know, if he's pro he's probably taking fossil fuel or military money or whatever, well, whoever he's he taking is. money from. Yep. Yep. Big time. So he's not addressing climate, <clears throat> but what are some of your other key issues um, that you're working on that you think are important? Because immigration to me comes to mind where you are. Um, but I don't know. If, is that an issue in California like it is for the people in Texas? She's in San Diego. Yeah. She's by Tijuana. So, no, so. I know location wise, but I mean, politically, I don't know if it's the oh, same. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Immigration. I mean, like we I live 20 minutes away from the border. Um, and we have like two border crossings within San Diego County as well. So immigration is something that's important to me, um, especially coming from an immigrant family. So, yeah. uh, you know, tomorrow's we were the indigenous people of Guam, but I'm also half Filipina. And so my grandparents immigrated from the Philippines um, in the 1960s, 1970s to Guam, you know, U.S. territory. And it was so easy for them to come over and, and build a life. The reason that they left the Philippines was to give a better life for their children. And my grandmother was able to sponsor like her entire family. And she had like 
eight to 10 siblings plus her mom, right? And to think about that process now seems unfathomable. So immigration is definitely important to the district. Um, Climate as well, as you mentioned, San Diego is so beautiful and um, it's just a great place to live. But um, some of my favorite places, um, I am watching like the the devastation of our biodiversity um, right before my very eyes. Like there's this beautiful hike, coastal hike called Torrey Pines, which is where I go to. It's my happy place when I want to do where it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful, huh? Um, And as you know, the Torrey Pines are trees. So this hike was lined with just beautiful thickets and forests of trees. But literally in the last two years, um, a lot of the Torrey Pines trees are dying due to the drought. And, um, you know, the trees aren't able, because of the lack of water, they're not able to produce the sap that they need to keep these beetles that are, are killing them out. So that's, it's something that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, but the one thing that is a rising issue is housing. Like in the last years, San Diego has skyrocketed to the top of the most expensive cities to live in. I mean, even, you know, (laughs) say as a software engineer, um, I feel the squeeze. So um, last year I was fortunate enough to put in two offers on two condos. I went above 15% of asking price and I still got priced out. Um, Those homes sold for about 630 to 680 last year. And literally a year later, um, the the selling price for one of those units went up to $900,000 in one year. And it's atrocious. It's atrocious because, you know, I feel ashamed as a software engineer because I'm in a lucrative field. I have benefits, great pay. And when people in STEM feel squeezed, like how does the rest of us feel squeezed? And a question that I get asked a lot is, you know, what is an issue, um, you know, specific to San Diego that you don't feel like gets talked about enough? And for me, it's diversity. Like I've fought for diversity my entire adult life, being a woman in tech, you know, wanting to uh, create more space and a pipeline for more women and diverse individuals to get into tech, which as we all know is, is not quite there yet in terms of gender and ethnic parity. Um, but what the skyrocketing cost of living and housing does is not only push people out, but the industries that we have here in San Diego as well, military, like you said, biotech, tech, um, they're not super diverse. So um, we've got a lot of work to do. And, and we know what the incentives are for keeping a diverse population within our communities. Yeah, I think one of the things that's going to end up happening and one of the reasons why I think right now Trump or DeSantis will be the president in 24 is because we're moving in a very dangerous direction regarding the housing crisis. And what that's going to do is going to spark a massive nationalistic movement, especially when it comes to immigration and people coming from other countries that want to buy property in the United States where Mm -hmm. people can't afford to live. um, And no one's doing anything about it. Like they're literally doing nothing. They're doing less than nothing. They're actually making it worse. They're building a wall. Yeah, the bit, well, we're building a big, beautiful wall on the southern border. Believe me, it's really great. Joe's been working really on great. it, too, Sleepy Joe's, Joe's asleep. keeping the wall building happening. Joe's already asleep. I'm totally awake. Yeah. I never sleep. I'm They're totally They're such morons. It. It, like, you, you know the, the numbers. Like, the majority of people that are here illegally came here legally. They're not border crossing. Like, that's not the problem, people. What I've always found the most interesting, the and you can see it in California uh, especially, is the fact that with everybody who constantly wants to point the finger at those who, let's say, don't have their papers, let's say, who do you think are the ones that are hiring? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's got to be it. Yeah. Who do you think are the ones that are hiring them? 
You're, you're getting hired by corporations that do not want to pay you a living wage. So they take advantage of desperate people from desperate parts of the world because that's all that's all the choices they have. So it I just don't understand. You go after the employers. How do people? If that's not, what you can like, care about. Pe- go after the employers. If but, that's what, because that's not what they care about. They don't Ki- really care. But Kylie, maybe this isn't too surprising because, as I'm sure you've observed on social media over the past few days, uh, the Democratic establishment is getting very, very concerned because they're noticing that people are not falling in line. They know that ten thousand dollars in student loan debt cancellation is nothing on two fronts. One, it's a joke in terms of what is being offered. And two, you're not even talking about tuition free public college and trade schools, which is the only way to solve this crisis. And the fact that they're like, can't you just shut up and do what we say? It's like they won't even stop the bleeding. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So I'm thinking that. As bad as things are, maybe they do have to get a little bit worse, maybe a lot worse. I really don't think we're that far away from really having like this great awakening of sorts. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I got a question the other day, um, again, being from a more affluent district about, you know, what what does um, forgiving all student debt teach our kids, you know? Right. And my answer to that is currently what we're teaching our kids with the current system that we have where they graduate with what 50,000 if they're lucky, $100,000 in debt, they can may- maybe they'll find a job in the field that they worked hard for in college to get their major in. Um, they have, you know, car loans, skyrocketing rent. We're teaching kids that life is impossible. We are breeding resentment and apathy because of the crushing weight of everything. So I would rather live in a world where our students feel like, okay, like, great, I got my education paid for, rather than like widening this division between everybody, because like you said, it's creating a desperate environment, which is not what we want and is actually, um, is causing the downfall of our democracy. I mean, education to me is like healthcare. It's an investment. It's not, it's not a cost. War is a cost. Education is an investment. And I'm and I, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about like what we're talking about is an additional four more years of school. We could just say, you know what, we've expanded. We think education's important. We think kids could use a little bit longer time to cook before they should go out into the world. And so we're gonna extend our beef pre-K through 16. That's what we're gonna do. We're you can call it whatever you want to call it. But it's like they're so begrudging about this idea of offering people education. And I I paid my student loans off finally this past year from law school, like really. And I knew like to me, if it's going to happen, it'll happen after I pay off my loans because I'm like Charlie Brown. But like I like I don't begrudge anybody, even though I pay like why should people have this when education is an investment? Why should people be have student loan debt shouldn't even be a phrase? It's like it's like healthcare bankruptcy. Like these are not things that are. This is not normal, people. And for somebody who ha- who, who has uh, Asian heritage, you know, if we are talking about from an economic global perspective, if we have any intention of competing with China, seriously, we are not competing with China if we do not take this seriously. We are we are a country of functioning useful idiots. I mean, this is like so beyond the pale at this point, and it's scary. It it really is because I don't think. Like I'm even starting to see like some of the elites who are starting to be like, 
yeah, this is getting pretty bad. It's like, getting pretty fascist. And, and, well, and now in Florida, they're, they pulled out 40%, DeSantis flagged 40% of our math textbooks. Somehow they violate the critical race theory component, which I can't figure out the life of me how a math book could have a critical race theory problem, even though critical race theory isn't a thing. It's just history. But I, I don't see how that would even be in a math book. Like we're seeing this crazy, we are going to have the dumbest people ever coming out of this country. Well, the whole theory is just that, well, the dumber they are, the easier they are to control. Yeah, well, I mean, that's yeah. basically the whole point. And yeah. that's why in, in California, unlike Florida, there is an emphasis on education, despite the, the, you know, the issues that are there, and there are plenty, but you know, this is no different than where we stand today. And that's why this whole fight about non-corporate representation is so vital, because that's really the, that, that is the great unifier. Because even if you're, regardless of where you stand on the political spectrum, and I'm sure you've observed this you know, just being on the trail, because obviously with the jungle primary system, you can appeal to whatever voter you want to appeal to. Mm -hmm. I am guessing that regardless of whether they're progressive, moderate or conservative, most of them appreciate your message. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And, um, you know, one thing that was really important to me in terms of like what my messaging would be on the campaign was, again, to pull from my heritage. And so the reason I'm a progressive is because in tomorrow, there's actually a concept for progressivism. And um, the word to describe that is enophamelic, um, translated, that means to make good. And um, the way that we practice it is reciprocity, respect, making sure everyone's taken care of. But most importantly, that when you have privilege, you give it back. Like there is no concept of an ego or you're better than anybody else just because, you know, you're wealthier or you're able to gain privilege. Um, your we, we understand as tomorrow's that your community helped you to get to where you're going to be, what you're, whether you're what, no matter what measure of success you're in. And so that's why. Things like Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, tuition-free public colleges, canceling student debt, making sure that corporations pay their fair share in taxes are is a no-brainer or no-brainer concepts to me because it's like, yeah, like let's take care of each other. And so when I always start my speeches or when I'm talking to everyone with talking about Enoch Amalek, and that gets people grounded in where I'm coming from. And you're right, no matter if I talk to super progressive people who of course love that, um, or even conservatives, I've, I've talked to conservatives who say, we're gonna have 1% in common in this conversation. And then by the end of it, they're like, huh, we actually have more in common. And it's like, because I'm talking about issues that keep us all up at night. Yeah, I mean, I always talk about that. Is that why you were pointing at me about the nature? I think one of our biggest problems in this country, not just this country, it's a Western, it's a it's a flaw of Western culture, is real lack of give a crap about the collective. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely way worse here because in this country, we take it to the extreme. Like there are definitely places in Europe that do still care about the collective. They do have universal health care. They, so they're better than us. But this concept in this country, when you start talking like that is, Oh, you're a socialist or you're, you're, you're a communist. And I'm like, no, I just think that there is a common collective that we're all better off when we're all better off. Like it's really not that complicated. It's just, I just would rather live in a world where people are healthy and educated. That's all, you know, like it's not, it's shouldn't yeah. be so crazy. Right. And yeah, exactly. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. And somebody, well, no, I mean, if you have a thought, please, by all means. Well, just exactly what you said. Like what I say on the campaign trail is enough Amalek means when the community prospers, we all as individuals prosper. And that resounds with every single person we talk to. Yeah. 
Kylie Ta- uh, Tianto. Titano. Titano. I'm going to think Titan. Think Titan. That's how it's a Titan up. Kylie. We actually, Titan. Sorry, we have the phonetic spelling on my website. <laughs> well, that's actually smart. Yeah, I it's smart. No confusion, but KylieTitano.com. Guys, please get over there. Please support, follow. Give her a hand. Get, look, this is uh, forward. You know, we she's got six days. So anything that you could do to help to ensure that she is in the top two runoff, which is the jungle primary system, uh, most likely uh, she's got a realistic chance, which is great. Do you need phone bankers and stuff? Phone bankers, texting, yeah. campers if they're in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. So guys, sign up and help and forward. Yeah, seriously. And uh, if you haven't been canvassing or at least trying to get people's attention at any of the Padres games, that's usually a pretty good thing <laughs> to you draw some people's attention in. So, Kylie, it's been a real pleasure. And obviously, we're pulling for you. I think that there is um, there is this class, if you will, this uh, sort of progressive class that's rising up, the people that are running for office, regardless of whether or not they're able to pull it off on the first try. I feel like, especially in Southern California in yeah, particular. Yeah, class of 22 is good. Yeah, there's a there's a real bench that's being built in <laughs> SoCal, which is very, uh, yeah. very reassuring, and that's wonderful. We do need more Katie Porters in Congress, and hopefully we will continue Katie. to uh, get more of that type of representation, less so than a Scott Peters. And with that said, we hope to speak with you again. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Kylie. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Sure. Have a good one. You are very right. She was lovely. Um, there was a question. Wait, go up that I wanted to say. There was some. Was it that? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not against that. But I think you don't have to do it as cash. You want to talk it- about like how... <laughs> You want to see people's heads explode. Yeah, but but I I like it. Well, it doesn't have to be cap. It needs to be percentage. So the top person in the company makes X percentage more than the bottom person in the company. So when they go up, everybody goes up. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. That's how Costco does it. Like, and that's how places like Ben and Jerry's have done things. Like there are companies that have self-imposed profit, well, profit sharing that's fine i have that's yeah well like, the, why would you not want you that? The, the highest person is only i forget what the percentage is times makes more than the most lower person the lowest person prior, on the salary. prior to reagan and obviously it's and, and everyone wants to just blame reagan for this no they're all effing guilty of it all of them so what you learn is that the ceos prior to 1981 we're basically making sort of at like a maximum 25 to 30 times more. Right, that's what it was. It was like 25 to 30 level times. employee, whereas today it's like 300 times the amount. It's more than that. Which is crazy. I think it's more than well, that. Well, in some cases it probably, well, would you like to know what Jeff Bezos is? I don't, I don't want to know that. I don't that you don't want to know. He disgusts me. Another because what that person, person. I, let's put it this way. What a, what, what a factory worker at Amazon probably makes in a year, Bezos makes probably in a minute. Well, right. Like the percentage so, is off the charts. So like, I, I don't think we need to cap the money. I just think we need to have a fixed percentage difference. Well, I am definitely in favor of a maximum wage. Um, you guys wage. know I love Jesse. Jesse Ventura, I we do. are going to try to get him on. The I want him to come. I want him on. So if he comes on, you can't do that though. What are you talking about? No. Of course I can. Oh my God. I can do whatever I want. Oh my God. So without further ado, we are very pleased to welcome our guest who we have spoken. With. I think you were on a call with her before possibly. Yeah, I think so. I think we were on a call together once. We've been on a call together. But she is a branding strategist, somebody who knows a thing or two about what's going on right now. And Lord knows we are in chaos. 
So if anybody's going to be able to help us out, hopefully Rachel Bycoffer will be able to help us with that. Welcome to Generational Change. What's up, guys? Hi, how are you? <laughs> good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you and I were on a call not that long ago. Well, it was, at this point, it was like probably like five months ago. That's a little while. I guess that's a while. Um, and, and nothing ever really panned out of that. And now, yeah. But I, do you remember? Do you know what I'm no, talking about? No, I'm on so many calls, you know? I know, no, I know. And I don't want to say, but it, it had, yeah, I don't want to say. It has something to do with Florida. Okay. Florida. <laughs> Florida. Florida. Um, and so that's where I know you from. But I, you probably don't re remember me from that call. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I have, I have so much desire to destroy Ron DeSantis in Florida <laughs> and just kind of foil him out, him and Abbott out for the rest of the country to be like, hey, this is what Republican governors do to you and what they look like when they're in charge. <laughs> they kill you and mm -hmm. steal all your shit, you know, and you'll have less shit because they'll bleed the state dry and give it all to their yacht owning big wig CEO friends, right? I thought it was very interesting uh, when DeSantis was starting to run, uh, just starting to run for re-election. And there was, um, I guess there there was like a highly disputed um, doc, if you will, in Key West it, when, it, when it came to um, uh, importing, exporting, you know, like George Costanza <laughs> likes to talk about. Uh, but basically, DeSantis was like being kind of steadfast about it and wasn't giving in. And the next thing you know, one of these like multinational corporations gave him a check for a million dollars. And then the next thing you know, oh, yeah, now they're allowed to park their, yacht, their, their <laughs> boats there. Isn't that sweet how that works? I mean, you do realize that there's nobody that's beating him for governor, right? Like at this point, the best we could hope to do is thwart him for president in 24. And even that's a stretch at this point. Yeah. Like He's not even running for governor. He won that. Yeah, he's already going to, he was in Buffalo recently. He's been to Iowa multiple times and he's going to New Hampshire. Southern California. And it's like, he's, you know, he's actually popular in Southern California. Well, he's not winning California. So that's all no, about, that's all about getting money. That's all that's about getting all, money. Well, that's efficient. He's campaigning. And so Rachel, we're seeing right now, obviously we know what the, the, the big story of the day is. Um, there's a lot of chaos regarding, you know, what is President Biden going to do regarding canceling student debt? Is it going to be, uh, you know, basically like a shave and a haircut type thing? Or is it going to be like a serious uh, type of uh, debt cancellation? And, you know, a lot of people are just going restless because, again, the economy is really, really rough and people are not able to pay off their loans. And of course, if you're to take $10,000, that's basically something that will be accumulated back for people that have, you know, like $150,000, $200,000 worth of debt. What do you think needs to happen right now in order to start, you know, engaging more of, especially the youth voter that needs to be engaged, especially in the midterms, if this is going to, if we're, if we're going to avoid any type of a significant knockout punch, which right now is not looking too good. Yeah, here, let me posit something that's going to sound a little crazy, okay? Think about this. Like, what if, okay, so if he does 10000 he does 50000 he does a full forgiveness. <laughs> I mean, what would be enough? Nothing, right? Because he, no matter what he does, it will be criticized, and, it will, and then we'll move on to the next thing, 
And then the Beltway will decide, well, maybe if they just do this one thing, that will change. And everyone will be like, oh, they delivered for me. Right. And that's just not how fucking politics work at all in the polarized era. It's not how these midterm fundamentals operate. Biden and the Democrats could have passed Build Back Better or not, and it still wouldn't have mattered because it would have been about what did you do for me lately, not last week, right? And so this idea that we should be structuring, I mean, think about the Republicans. What did they campaign on in 2016 to take over? They got a trifecta out of it, all three branches of government. What was it that Trump told everybody he was going to do? I'm totally making America great again. That's what I'm doing. I totally did it. But I gave a really big, beautiful tax cut to the richest people. That's what I did. That God, that's really did. actually very good. No, he, does, dude, he does a few. He does a few I different did not people. know this. And like, yeah. boy, I wasn't like serving you up. And now I feel like I really like. Yeah, no, you'll, it that. happens occasionally here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Trump and the Republicans said two fucking things to voters for a decade. We're going to repeal and replace Obamacare. And we're going to build the wall and get Mexico to fucking pay for it. And how many walls did they build? None, right? How many, um, you know. No, Biden's were, working on it still, though. Biden's still working. He's continued the wall. They're not stopping. They repeal and replace Obamacare. Okay. Yeah. So those are the two main pinnacle promises that, that Trump and the Republican Party made to voters. And then do you know what happened in 2018 when, when, when the Republican base did not get delivered on these two important initiatives? They got crushed. Right. They got crushed. No, absolutely fucking not. They're turning one up. The reason they held on to the Senate and won so many governor's wow. races in 2018 was that unlike us in midterms, always the in-party, out-party turnout differential the republican party has fixed that problem okay so they don't even have to run on legislation and when they do and they don't deliver it it doesn't fucking matter because their turnout and their interest is still going up which makes you kind of wonder hmm maybe it's less performance based and more marketing based okay and that's really important for you guys to understand because like when we think about why we're going to see declined enthusiasm, especially amongst certain core constituencies in the Democratic coalition. Those are things that Democrats could have still delivered on and still would be facing because we, we have a, the structural problem of when we're in party, a big chunk of our coalition uh, or in power, I'm sorry, uh, a big part of the coalition pulls back. And there's no electioneering system, no marketing system, no political comm system designed to mitigate that. That's really what my life's work is about. Well, one of the things that's been happening over the past several months that we believe in, and we're huge advocates for the inside-outside strategy in terms of the outside strategy, the labor movement is going stronger by the day. Starbucks has done a, well, the work, let me rephrase, the workers of Starbucks have done a phenomenal job of unionizing. Um, You know, it's like every time Howard Schultz opens his mouth, another another Starbucks gets unionized. Do you hear like a bell ring, like an angel gets its wings, like he says something and then another Starbucks gets unionized? And and then, of course, uh, you know, Chris Smalls did an amazing job with what he did at the warehouse in Staten Island for Amazon. Um, I personally think that the real fight, especially in rural America, where a lot of voters are just 
knee-jerk vote red every time is with Walmart. And, and I really do think that is a fight that needs to happen uh, uh, consciously. Uh, and right now, it's not happening. Uh, but I do think that the They're late- one of our donors of our state party here in Florida for yeah. a Democratic Party takes money from Gotta Walmart. Got to stop taking money from Walmart. Keep they that are, up. That speaks labor. Yeah. That really yells. That screams labor. What, how do you see the labor movement playing a role as far as, um, you know, potentially really garnering that shift towards that real left, or not even left, but just, you know, working class economics that was the hallmark of the Democratic Party for so long and could hold, hopefully be again, because that's really what we're fighting for. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I guess what I would do is I would stress to people. <laughs> so it's really, it's tempting to be like, okay, well, let's talk about policy and issues and all the things that we want to advance and care about. And of course, union nation, um, unionization and labor issues are a core component part of that. But at the end of the day, what we really need to be doing is getting people to focus on the task at hand. And the task at hand is to prevent a fascist collapse of the federal government, right? So I've been really trying to get people to, to understand we're in this moment where we are outspent considerably. Like they have so much money in infrastructure that we there's only there's only one motherfucker that can raise us an war chest off of ten and twenty dollar donations. And that guy is named Bernie Sanders, and he only raises money for like you know his own presidential campaigns, right? So like, I, so it's it's tempting to say, oh well, shit, you know, Walmart gives Democrats money. Like we, I think what we like what they are doing is so so monumentally slanted the resources being deployed into politics that I just feel obliged to warn people. Are, are the money in politics game right now. <laughs> like the, there is no big money in democratic politics. When you look at Republican democratic differentials. Okay. Yes. The, there's our money system is fucked and we need public financing, but we will never have those things until we have veto proof majorities in Congress and the presidency. So our pathway to power to, we can't put the horse before the court. We, we both want to, we always want to reform shit before we have the power to reform it. And so we really need to keep people focused and um, combine all of these different coalitions into one larger pro-democracy coalition focused on maximizing seat share for Democrats up and down the ballot. The only the only problem with that is so you can look back at the four past Democratic presidential administrations where there were majorities and a lot of these things still didn't get done. You know, so that's I think where there's I I feel extreme sense of frustration. Like to me, it's like the reason that they they're not doing well is because they don't do anything. They suck. They you have a president that's so feckless that he's bowing down to people like the parliamentarian and Joe Manchin. And, and my, my thought is it's like the inordinate amount of things that he could have done and still could do with executive order and fails to do so. Those are all failures on the part of him as a representative of that party. You know, nobody has ever, no president in the history of our Republic has issued more executive orders, done more governing by fiat than Joe Biden. Okay. To be fair to him, he didn't create executive authority as a mechanism to bypass Congress. It is a mechanism that evolved as Congress polarized and as the mass public 
polarized and Congress shut down. Keep in mind, the Republican Party adopted a strategy 10 years ago that is to deprive the Democratic base of any victory. So like their only fucking goal in, in government ever other than tax cuts for rich people is to make sure the Democratic presidents that come in do not get legislative victory. And that's their entire shtick. And they have this system, unfortunately, that's a you know incredibly unrepresentative system, but can only be changed, I'll add, by constitutional amendment by the people who are serving under it. So to when, so to, Joe Biden had to issue so many executive fucking orders to overturn the Trump executive orders. So if you look at how many he's issued, three quarters of those are to retro pull back these devastating EOs that Trump issued. Everything from the environment to uh, habeas corpus claims to, you know, um, all kinds of shit. And, you know, it is possible that Joe Biden could do more by executive order, but it is really important for people to understand it just as he reversed the Trump era executive orders. So too, can the next president reverse those? So they are, you know, do I think he, he could and should swing for the fence on EOs? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. (laughs) But at the end of the day, like you are, we're not getting permanent or wide scale policy reformation from executive orders. You can't, we can't reform immigration. We can't do anything with guns aside from like narrow nibbling at the edges. But what I would say is this. It, it, I don't know how anyone could look at, at the situation in Congress with the 48 solid Democratic votes and the two rogue. One of them is is doing what's called electoral you know, um, utility maximization because uh, Joe Manchin is a Democrat serving in a Trump state. It went for Trump by 35 points. So when you think about what that means, his electorate is like 70 percent Republican. OK, and he's a Democrat and he has to win statewide. So he's not facing a gerrymandered district. He's facing not only a competitive district, he's facing the opposite. He's like the only politician on our side right now that needs meaningful opposition party votes to win. Cinema's a different story. Right. And when you look at the leverage points to, to pressure these two, they're just very, very finite. There's not you. Can, what are you going to do? Jack their committee chairs. Um, you know, anything that you do could push them out of the majority and Judge Kentanya, uh Brown Jackson would not be sitting on the Supreme Court today if it was not for those two votes, Manchin and Cinema. So they are still better than not having them. And, uh, you know, it's important, I think, to recognize the system is not designed for change. So let's just pretend for a second. Same scenario, same Senate, same people, not Joe Biden. It's Bernie Sanders. Okay. What would what would he be able to do in terms of getting the filibuster nuked or legislation passed, given the scenario with Manchin and Cinema that Joe Biden could not do? And I mean, I'm not asking in a rhetorical way. No, and I, and let me say before he does Rachel summoned me. She wants to hear what I have to say. So I'm going to talk to her and I'm going to let her know exactly what I would have done. Besides my good friend, Joe, I understand that people are frustrated right now, but if I was president of the United States, here, sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, if I was president of the United States, there's a number of things that I would do. Number one, I would definitely cancel student debt. And the reason I would cancel student debt is because we need to make public colleges and universities and trade schools tuition free. 
so we can come to a 21st century economy that people are making living wages, having health care, universal health care, which is what we're fighting for. Now, I know during the pandemic, I could have expanded Medicare to everybody because it is in the Social Security Act clause. We can expand it to everybody during a national health care emergency. We would have done that. Now, of course, canceling student debt would also increase people's ability to expand the economy because they're not taken down by so much debt. So that is two things I would have done. I also would have declared a national emergency and employed the Defense Production Act so we could start building a clean energy grid. We need solar fields, wind farms, geothermal plants, hydro plants, all types of plants we that need are producing. Plants. And you would also legalize and you would legalize cannabis and you I would... definitely would well listen, I don't participate and that's okay, but I would definitely legalize cannabis. There is no reason or decriminalize cannabis. Decriminalize cannabis. I could do that. I cannot legalize it, but I could decriminalize and it. Can that be done that. by uh EO? Executive order. Executive and not order. only that, but he could also be expunging and commuting. 2,700 people that are incarcerated in federal prison right now on nonviolent marijuana offenses. And I thought we would do that because, let's face it, we have a for-profit prison industrial complex. We should not have that. What we should have is a fair and equitable corrections justice system. People should be becoming better people if they have to go away, not worse people when they go away. There's a, too much of a profit motive in incarceration in this country. But that aside, he could absolutely pardon and expunge 2,700 currently in the federal system. That's a lot of families whose lives have been completely destroyed for nonviolent marijuana offenses. Oh, yeah, you I don't have going. to tell me, dude. I, if I had it my fucking way, <laughs> and I'm still working on this, would be running a national wedge campaign to make sure America's pot smokers know this one basic fucking fact, which they don't know. We think that they know, but they don't know. And that is, if you like pot, vote for Democrats. <laughs> pot, Democrats, Democrats, pot. We have 10% of the Florida electorate in their split ticketing pro-pot and DeSantis. It should just never fucking happen. It's messaging malpractice. By the time Democrats get their shit together on pot, the entire Republican Party will be running on legalization, okay? I mean, if I was the Republican Party, and I, other than fascist crackdown, steal everybody's right to vote and put poll armies into the election headquarters, my theory to, to, to steal voters would have been what they're doing right now with non-white voters already, brand busting them and making them fearful of us. And number two, wedge issuing pot. There's, you know, millions of people out there who have no idea that there's a connection between the Republican Party and people going to jail for pot. And we really need to make that clear. And I would make that clear if I was president of the United States. But unfortunately, my good friend Joe is and I'm the head of the Senate Budget Committee. But that is an important role. That does make a difference. So just wanted to let you know, uh, if you had any more questions, uh, I thought I would come by and let you know. So hope you enjoy. Nice to meet you. Oh, my God. Are you married to this guy? No. no. Oh. <laughs> no. I got one more. I'm not going to do it. I fucking love it, dude. If I ever need an impersonator for birthdays, man, I know who I'm calling. Well, to be honest, I actually think it's, uh, 
Uh, well, my last one's Bill, but I'm not going to do him right now. I'll, I'll have to wait till the end. I yeah, like you his bill. Your bill's good. Your bill. I, your bill's your best one, I think. Actually, see, I'm going yeah. to go with Sanders. Man, you had that shit nailed, dude. Yeah, he's good at Bernie. Yeah, Damn. no, he, uh, he inspired me. Um, I mean, politics was always my background. I studied it in college, um, but I wasn't. You know, and I've always voted. You know, that's I'm like anybody. I pay attention to what goes on, but. You know, when Bernie came along, the reason why I was so, inca- you know, I would I, I, not even enchanted is the right way to put it. But the reason why I believed in him more than anybody would ever run before is because he ran clean. And that is an almost impossible thing to do in politics where, you know, everybody yeah. else is on the take. And you're the one guy who's like, oh, I'm not going to take corporate special interest money. And the next thing you know, he's creating this quasi revolution of sorts. And I know everybody wants everything to change. But you're talking about this entire convoluted system that has been in place for a very long time. And ever since Reagan has only gotten worse. And yes, that includes both parties over the last 40 years. Obviously one has done worse, but at the end of the day, this system is literally bleeding people dry. The capitalism is imploding. Yeah, it is. The corporatism is. is imploding. I think it's fair to say that it is. At yeah, you know, what's really funny is like, I was in high school in the nineties, okay. And so, like, at that time period, it was absolutely fair to say the two parties' economic programs were two peas in a pod. But, like, the divergence in the two parties' platforms, even all around the economic issues, is pretty sharp in the last, like, 15 years. So it's really hard for me to look at the the Republican Party, Democratic Party, and be like, oh, but so so it it is if you reduce shit, right? Okay, well, this person got money from AT&T. And, you know, they didn't there's they said they were going to get this telephone reform bill through and they never did. But if you understand how the legislative process is is separated out to be very difficult and to have bias towards inaction, which is to say that there's multiple veto points that are very it's much easier to kill a bill in Congress than it is to keep it alive and get it through the process. And if you have two honest brokers it's hard because you still have all of these competing outside factors. You've got your funders, so corporate money or regular money. You've got the activists who are very loud and pay a lot of attention to the particulars. You've got the industries that it's going to affect. You've got the media narratives. And if you're the Republicans, you at least understand that that's something that you should massage and manipulate, right? So like all of this pressure coming into bear, when you take one of those pieces and you make it dishonest, okay, when it adopts a strategy of, I don't fuck all of the American people. We don't care if the economy is good for them. We don't care if their health care gets fucking better. We don't care if this next guy comes in and strips down every fucking piece of environmental uh, legislation in the last 30 or 40 fucking years. Because believe it or not, millennials, especially in Gen Z, the earth was much fucking worse when I was a kid. Acid fucking rain would fall out of the sky. Okay. My mom would be like, don't go outside today. Acid rain. So, you know, shit has not ever been great environmentally, but it's a lot fucking better, at least on the surface level pollution than it used to be. And, you know, these, this party, this Republican party that is existing now is not, it does not concern itself with making your life better. It doesn't give a fuck if you can make your bills. It doesn't care if you die uh, from pancreatic cancer because you don't have any fucking health care. All it cares about is amassing power and using that power to recoalesce its own 
heterogeneous or homogenous power structure back from what has happened to it in the last 30 years, which is a ton of multicultural diversity. Okay? <laughs> and I so would- because of that, I'm just going to push really strongly back and say, you know, it is frustrating to look at the system. But I but again, I can't reiterate this enough. The depression that you feel towards what Democrats have been able to do, especially the last 15 years, is by design. It is not an accident for you to feel this way. It is part of their strategy. And it is one, unfortunately, they get a lot of help from because Democrats are so feckless in many of the ways that you guys have described. But uh, in terms of actual getting shit done, like there, there is a limit that we can do until and unless we roll over the Republican Party electorally and in a way that we have just we can't even really envision doing right now. Well, if it was my call in terms of the way that I would be doing things, especially because most people are really engaged on the idea of electing non-corporate representation, there has to be a greater focus on local races. Uh, That is a huge problem I find in democratic politics. There's way too much of this top-down approach, whereas uh, the GOP is exceptionally well-trained in a bottom-up approach. I compare it to Obama and Clinton, to uh, Bush, uh, both Bushes, quite frankly, uh, there is no way in in hell that somebody like George W. Bush could have ever been elected president if he was the standard bearer of a major political party. He's not. He just happened to have been the you know village idiot that they managed oh. to get you know in that position that they were able to bring up. Whereas somebody like Bur- uh, not even, well, you could say Bernie, but obviously who won Clinton and Obama. They were a top-down approach. They were sort of this Trojan horse-like candidate that was able to galvanize millions and millions of people and bring them through. I think the bottom-up approach, especially with the non-corporate side of politics, which is what engages a lot of the millennials and Gen Zers, that's where a lot of the long-term interest is going to come from. Now, obviously, we're up against it time-wise because things are just so chaotic at the moment. But if that's what's going to get more and more people involved, again, you know, just here in Florida, um, we've been talking with somebody about, I guess there's got to be at least like, what, 15 to 20 seats right now that are, you know, for the state house that could be challenged and are not even getting challenged. Yep. And that is a huge, huge problem um, in terms of executing strategy, which, as you know, here in the state of Florida for the Democratic Party, is really, really bad. So I do think going forward, that is one of the things that must change and we'll be working on that. And with that said, Rachel, is there anything before you go that you want to let the audience know that you're working on anything uh, currently that people can you know, view your work and you know, anything that you want to plug? Obviously, the floor is yours. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, it's from the bottom up where that that a state like Virginia is going to rise or fall and it fell because they went top down and like, you know, along with the messaging shit that we need to do, need to recognize exactly as you did the symmetry with the Republicans. They understand their best asset are the folks on the ground and the best resource and therefore it should be invested and optimized, not uh, treated as secondhand and an afterthought. So on that, we absolutely agree and uh, people can follow me at Rachel Bittekoffer, where I am working on electing Democrats up and down every ticket in America that I possibly can. (laughs) Because if we do not, and we let these people have power this fall, they are going to use it to fuck us really hard. Ouch. 
probably no, <laughs> probably no room for protection. No, it Rachel. Be good. Ben, so it's Bittercoffer. Rachel Bittercoffer on Twitter. That's the best place. Yeah, that's it. That's just follow me. At, and I have a, a Substack at the Cycle. It's called the Cycle. It's sub, on Substack. That's where I do. I've got. Ma- I'm going to be recording. You guys will like this. Mallory Mc uh, is coming on yeah. my pod. Uh, McMorrow, McMorrow, McMorrow. How do you say it? Do you know? Uh, I'm the Irish one, McMorrow. That's how you say McMorrow, right? <laughs> I'll have to practice for tomorrow. I never fuck yeah. that up. So <laughs> anyway, she's coming on the pod tomorrow, and we're going to have a talk about how she came up with her speech on the floor, how she just let it out, and why authenticity is what we need up and down the ballot. We need people like Sanders who are authentic and willing to be brand ambassadors. We don't want any apologetic Democrats. We want people out there saying, you're fuck right, I'm a Democrat, and let me tell you why. Rachel Bittenkoffer, talk about (laughs) fire in the belly, baby. Thank you so much for coming on. Guys, check her out at Rachel Bittenkoffer on Twitter. Follow her work. I am sure we will be speaking again. Keep fighting the good fight. We really appreciate it. Thank you, you guys. (laughs) Bye-bye. So, This is what it's like to have a conversation with somebody who we do not see to eye to eye with within the party infrastructure. Now, it's easy to diagnose the problem of what the GOP does wrong, and they do plenty wrong. But there was no point in really getting into, you know, like a tussle. Uh, Rachel did say something that was not true, which is um, President Biden is not uh, president who has issued the most executive orders as president. In I fact, he's close. actually um, he's actually issued some of the least in the history of the presidency. Yeah, I don't know where her numbers are from, but FDR, who by far issued the most executive orders, and granted, orders he was there president. for four terms. So you're that yes, sort of but FDR is FDR is in a whole other stratosphere. FDR yeah. issued like I think it was like four thousand executive orders. But yeah, orders no, or something Biden like that. is not. I, I she Biden was is, a little too drinky of the Kool Aid for me. Um, Which is, I mean, listen, you know what? Everybody's different. Um, but Biden has issued, I think, like 75 executive orders or something like that. Uh, you know, that again, you this the mindset of the voter doesn't care about the issues is not true. Now, do I think that that is uh, do I think that there are voters who don't care that are, let's just say, team red, team blue? Yes, they're yes. tribalists. 100 percent. 100 percent. I definitely agree with that. Like for them, it's it's about uh, I'm voting for my team. Uh, random question: Is your background actual window? <laughs> it's the real thing. Real baby. shutters, real shutters. Like the paint peels off. And um, thank you, Jesse. Appreciate the support. Yeah. So, and people have asked before because I co- I have a collection of antique shutters. Um, ironically, this particular shutter is not really antique. It's the only one in here that's like a faux. I don't know if it's from Kirkland's. The rest of them are all antique from all over the country. Some are post-Katrina. There are some from Massachusetts, I think. Um, there were a couple from Maine. Like, I just was collecting antique shutters. And, um, yeah, so that's what we did as our background. One thing that I will say, though, about somebody like Rachel, and this is something that I would tell anybody from the outside looking in in terms of, if you're running a political campaign and you want to have, like, certain types of people on your team, people that you want to have supporting you. Somebody like Rachel is not somebody you want to see on the other side. That is a person who literally will make your life a living hell. And that, when you're trying to win politically, can actually have a lot of value. 
that is something that I don't think it's talked about enough. Like you need those foxhole type people. You can tell Rachel's somebody you, you, you don't want to mess with her. No, but I just, I, I think that it, it's really, it, it's, it's a mentality and a mindset that's still sort of a little very neoliberal to me. And I think that it turns off a lot of people. And I think that it pushes people that are in the center. It pushes them to the right. Like that, that, that very pro dem, and it's all the GOP. But again, I, w- I was I, well, well. I agree with you, but I would say it in this context. In what context are you saying it from? If the context you're saying it from is from the culture, from the social perspective, yes, that's going to push people to the right, no question about it. But if you're talking about the economic perspective, you know, so that was something that I think I would say of all the things that Rachel said that we vehemently disagree with is this idea that people don't care about the issues. They just care about, you know, like, I don't even remember how she said it exactly. It was almost like this whole, uh, like that the feeling, you know, you gotta, you gotta message better. And it's like, no, I mean, messaging matters, but substance matters. Give the people something, throw them a bone. I I am so over anybody that is saying this. And there have been four presidential administrations with majorities Two, I believe had super majorities at one point or another. And none of these things got done. They also rubber stamped all of Trump's conservative judicial appointees. They didn't fight for Merrick Garland. No, you know, I mean, at some point, like, people have to be honest about this. They didn't do their job. They And by the way, they fundraise like crazy. I can't believe it. Like, I'm sitting here thinking this month alone, they get a Roe v. Wade and a school shooting and an NRA fight in the same month. The, the Democrats love this. It's fundraising like they're like rabid dogs. Clinton, Clinton had a supermajority in his first two. I think it was a supermajority in his first two years. And... You know, Obama had a supermajority with a filibuster-proof Senate for like like over two months. Didn't get rid of the filibuster. Didn't even get us a public option. Didn't decriminalize marijuana. Didn't do really anything except help the corporations get richer and richer and help banks get bigger and bigger. And that's the difference between the mindset of where we're coming from versus <laughs> where somebody, yes, that's cute. Um <laughs> Whereas somebody like Rachel is coming from, which is, this isn't about shaming people and telling them that they're no good if they don't listen or that fascism is coming or this and that. Okay, well, if that's the case, then you in power need to do something to convince people to come and support you. People have more power than they think. And that mindset of do as we say, not as we do, that's a that's a fascist way of thinking. <clears throat> a, and again, as you've said, we're kind of at a we're people don't realize we're at that point right now where we really are staring down the barrel of a gun of either heading towards fascism or socialism. You're, here, well, yeah, we're seeing and I've been saying this for a few years. We're having a populist uprising. Right. So there's a populist uprising. It's either going to happen on the left or it's going to happen on the right. And it's already that, happening on the right. Well, it's and we're not catching up on the left. And what's going to happen is the balance is going to tip. And we are. I mean, the, the, the truth is, is that and again, not to sound all Marxist, but um, when you start seeing late stage capitalism, what you start to see is sort of a, a trend. And if you don't head towards the socialist direction, you're going to end up going in the more fascist direction. And it's happening all over the world. Oh, yeah. But it's definitely you like saw what just it happened happens in, Columbia. in cycles. It just happened in Colombia. I did not know. The, the, it doesn't yeah, surprise me. It's happening like everywhere. Over. Because again, it's it's like, and and maybe this is credit to the people. Um, and again, I don't want fascism. 
this whole idea that like, oh yeah, this is what I, oh yeah, I feel, I feel so much better if the, you know, the, these guys win again, it's really on the margins. You know, that to me, I think is really what it comes down to. Are there differences between the two major parties? Absolutely. But ultimately it is on the leadership of the party to get people excited and want to be involved because they're actually getting something out of it. You know, most people pay X amount of dollars in taxes and they don't even know where their taxes are really going. It's more or less just a guess. It's kind of like if you want to do, do away, you know, as an example, if we are trying to get rid or trying to not make it so that civilians could get their hands on um, the AR-15. So just use that as an example. It's already coming out now that one of the biggest things that's coming as a watch, watch where you watch where that is. Sorry. One of the biggest things that's coming out now is the fact that when it comes to Ukraine, it turns out that the weapons of choice of either volunteers or members of the military on the ground for Ukraine are fighting. Well, guess what their weapons of choice are? The AR-15 and the AK-47. Who do you think is going to produce those weapons? Again, we have a lot of problems in this country and we're not exactly willing to face the reality of why things are where they are. Now, I want to occasionally have these conversations with members of the party who we do not see it eye to eye with, because ultimately, I think we get to at least see what their perspective is. The good news is, is that it wasn't a completely devoid conversation. We did end up agreeing on a handful of things, which is good. But we don't need to like have like bigger, you know, you know, gaps between us. But it's certainly I mean, we're not solving any of Newton's laws this way either. Shout out to new patron. I just updated our list. Um, Brian Houlihan is a new patron. Thank and you, also Sam Miller is back with us. We've got a five dollar patron. He's, he's a Kanucky. Hey, hey, hey. Well, he is, but I don't know where. And a ten dollar patron. We did, Brian Houlihan. So if you guys like our content and you appreciate what we do, patreon.com forward slash generational change. Yeah. And we have some good stuff coming up too. So we, we have, I don't know why we got two of these. Normally we only get one, but we got two. Ooh, so you can one have one, but are you going to read it? Yeah. Are you? Cause it's not available yet on audio. So if probably, I have, I have to read it. You know, my guess is, is that they probably knew that I was on the show Ooh. and, or, or that this is two, it's two people on the podcast. So they have but to, they came apart from each other, oh, which is interesting. Really? Yes. That's what I'm saying. Well, I had one for a while. There were two of us and that they were like, okay, why not? We'll so we have, so, but what do we have coming up? What do we have coming up on Monday? On Monday we have, we are going to have a wonderful young group of true progressives, Gen Very Z cool. for change. I'm Gen sure you guys Z have heard of change. them. Very popular on social media, specifically Twitter and Instagram. Um, and I believe TikTok as well. Yeah, I think uh, that's their I think that's their big thing. They've really done an amazing job. We're going to uh, forgive me for not remembering their names, but two of them are going to be joining us. So that'll be wonderful. And we will also be speaking with somebody we've really been looking forward to talking to a former member of the, well, I wouldn't say former member, but somebody who was with the Yang Gang and is currently a state house representative in South Kakalaki. 
South Carolina, Jermaine Johnson. So for those of you out there who So is are, he running for re-election for state house? He is. Okay. So for those of you who are familiar with the Yang gang or anybody who is big supporters of Andrew Yang, but especially big supporters of universal basic income, Representative Johnson is going to be coming on our show. Very much looking forward to speaking with him. Bring um, it on. Bring it on, federal job guarantee people. Yeah, that'll be fun. Bring it on, you MMT people that don't think you could coexist with the UBI people. Scott Stanton's Can't wrote we all get great, along? Why can't we all just get along? Scott <gasps> Stanton's wrote a great piece about how the two factions can coexist. Federal jobs guarantee and UBI can be done. And I will- um, And then that's, we don't have anything set up for the eighth yet. Yeah. And you have, yeah, there's some other cool things coming up though. We even yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, so this interview with Zach Grauman, that book, I already downloaded the audio. Okay. Perfect. So I'm ready. I will I will listen to that one. That's he is the gentleman who ran, speaking of Yang. He ran Andrew's He campaigns. ran Andrew's presidential campaign. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure to I think he's get one of the, his I book. think he's one of the best. I really think he's great. I think that if you brought together the best people from Bernie's campaign and the best people from Yang's campaign and made that be your team, that it would be really smart. Yeah, I would agree. Oh, well, it would be like like if, if we could play fantasy football with like draft, building a campaign. We're drafting them. <laughs> like if I could build a so campaign team like that, like I would I would definitely want to like poach people from the from Yang's team and from Bernie's team. But and I'm going to make you very happy because I do have a little surprise. It's not official yet, but it's going to happen. What is Jesse the Body <gasps> Ventura is going to come on our podcast. <gasps> no, yeah. you did? Yeah. Okay, then I almost mix up for you drinking out of my water bottle this show. Did anybody else notice? I hate it. It's gross. Fortunately, we share cooties enough anyway, but like, it's just gross. I'm so I, 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 And I, that These really- These pretzels are making me I thirsty. I'm so, oh, like I'm shocked. Like I was thinking that I was going to be excited if you got Squirmy and Grubs to come on because I love them too. Squirmy and Grubs, if you ever see this, I love you guys. Now, Jesse said that he's got a Substack coming out and he <gasps> wants to talk, so- Oh my so God, that's a big deal, guys. Like Jesse is a huge yeah. get. It's a huge get. Oh yeah, maybe that's as big as Oliver Stone as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it is. So. It's really big. I mean, former governor, it's a big deal. We'll be, um, ask, we'll be asking him about what happened in 2020. Yeah, well, well we want to know. Some, but, something, something happened. And um, you should read at least one of his books before he ever I want to read though. Democrats and, and Republicans. Republicans. Yeah, it's great. But guys, if you don't know who Squirmy and Grubs are, I love their YouTube show. So I have to just say, if you guys don't watch Squirmy and Grubs, it's like one of my most favorite things. Literally, I find myself just smiling almost the entire time. Like they just, the, the, that couple just, they exude happy and love. And I just, they, they please me. So I'm dying to talk to them. And they also talk a lot about interabled relationships, which is something I never really thought about. But it was, it's really kind of, I appreciate learning that. Well, I know a thing or two about interable relationships. Well, I'm sure because, you do. Um, uh, Hillary's an enabler, and I'm, a, <laughs> and I'm certainly a doer. So, uh, but I wanted to come on tonight and just let all you people know that Patreon.com forward slash Generational Change. Jed needs help. She's, uh, you know, she's poor and she needs help. So, yeah, I know a thing or two about coming from Arkansas and. I am not, not poor, much. Bill. No, no, I'm not poor anymore. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, I'm living quite the life. Yeah, so we've anyway, all noticed. So anyway, the reason I'm here this evening is because um, I just wanted to make a personal pitch to uh, to that lovely Amber Heard. I, I heard about what happened today. You know, 
heard about what happened today. It was unfortunate, uh, but I, I, I will say that she's probably looking for a new sugar daddy about now. No, I've got plenty to go around. That's that's why I'm here. I'm I'm making my play. So if you ever feel like coming to Arkansas, you know, I got my own library. It's really sweet. And uh, we have this wonderful penthouse apartment right above it. That no one knows about it, but uh, you're, you're invited. And um, I'd, I'd love to, you know, be the shoulder to cry on. So, you know, just think, oh, just just think about it. So Amber. I mean, uh, you know, are you going to talk about uh, your your attorney or is that what you're here to talk about? Uh, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that people understood exactly why Michael Sussman, you know, was able to get off <laughs> in more ways than one the other day. Um, but the thing that's important to remember, and Amber, remember, call me if you're free. Um, but the reason why I'm here is because I need people to understand why Michael Sussman was able to be acquitted of the very real charges of lying to the FBI because you know, he really did. <laughs> but you know how it is in D.C., we still run the town and you're you're questioning how he got away with lying. Is that yeah. what you're actually is those the words actually coming out of your mouth? Like you're you're can't figure out how he got away with lying. I did not say those words. So I don't I I'm like it. just um you might floored. Be, well <laughs> you may be a lawyer, but I'm slick as can be. Oh, I know you are. So <sighs> the reason why I had to come here and let all you people know exactly why Michael Sussman was not convicted yesterday in D.C. Uh, you obviously would have known about it because we made sure there was no cameras around here about what happened. Um, but the truth of the matter is um, we were able to get several members of our coalition, if you will, onto the jury, <laughs> uh, including one who is a major donor to Hillary's campaign. Uh, there was also a few people that were donors to my campaign. <laughs> is that true? Uh, I don't tell a lie. Oh, good. <laughs> it is kind of amazing what we are able to get away with, wouldn't you say? Can't <laughs> make this stuff up. So man. when we say that you get to have a jury of your peers. You really do. It really applies do. to all of you, doesn't it? Oh, we really do mean it. <laughs> I can't say that he actually was innocent. <laughs> Again, uh, he's able to get away with things because we run the town, as I said, and you know, he may very well have done some not so uh, decent things. And, uh, and it came out uh, during the trial that Hillary actually was the one who kind of came up with the whole Russia hoax conspiracy thing. And, uh, yeah, we were able to get away with that for a long time. But, you know, we're pretty Teflon. Nothing's going to happen. So I just want to reiterate to all of you who are even thinking about trying to put me and Hillary away. Accidents will happen. Not that they might. They will <laughs> it just happens. People uh, just get arkansided. Yeah, it is unfortunate, isn't it? <laughs> but I didn't do it. <laughs> I honestly didn't do it. Um, and just remember, I'm uh, I'm somebody who's been to places where I've seen things that I can never repeat in public or on a podcast. So just forewarning anybody out there who's thinking about bringing more charges if uh, Mr. Durham is thinking of uh, potentially indicting any more people. It's not going to end well for you. Remember, we run the town, not you. That's <laughs> been our town for a very long time, and it will continue to be that way as long as I'm breathing. <laughs> if Hillary gets me first, or if, <laughs> if I happen to outlive her, not likely, but I mean, I don't drink snake's blood. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? <laughs> well, anyway, um, I just want to remind people that we're not going anywhere. Don't even try to get in our way. I can assure you, we cannot be stopped. The Clintons reign forever. Ugh, so Thank gross. you for coming to my TED Talk. Good to see you, Jan. Ugh.
Okay, how are your eyes, by the way, over there, Alex? Good. You like it? Are you happy? Like, is it the coolest thing? Yeah, 2015. Like, it's just like your treat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I need that. Yeah, he had, um, it's, they still call it LASIK, right? I mean, it's still LASIK procedure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a smart thing to do. And the recovery wasn't bad, right? Yeah. You know, even if, and again, um, I don't know the fine tooth details of the case, but what I do know, which is indisputable, is the fact that the Clintons had multiple people in the, from their coalition on the jury. That's like, unbelievable. That is me. really like, you really can't make <laughs> like that. Is, I mean, you want it to, I mean, listen, that's the type of stuff that used to go on in the deep South during like the lynching trials. Um, like that's that. the kind of stuff that goes on in dictatorships. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> like that's ridiculous. That's just crazy. Well, is it really any different than what's his name? Kemp overseeing his own election. Oh yeah. Or, I mean, it's, th- these people are ridiculous. They're just, it's a farce. Brian Kemp is not only the governor of Georgia, but he's also the like supervisor of elections or something. No, he was the secretary of state when he was running for governor of Georgia and he oversaw his own election. He's the reason that they purged over 300,000 voters off the rolls, which is why she lost. That's true. I I am by no means a Stacey Abrams fan, but they really cheated her. Yeah. And he, the, just the fact that you could be the secretary of state and oversee your own election is outrageous to me. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. There's so like there's things that just happen here that are really very beyond banana well, like republic. I said, this is why We're banana are, republic. This is why things are falling apart. This is why people are growing ever impatient with everything that's going on. And as a result of that, we are headed for where we're headed, which is almost like a societal collapse. And so when our previous guests and other people are out here screaming at the top of their lungs, you have to do this, you have to do that. Exactly. And he purged over 300,000 people from the roles in her area. Exactly. That's a significant difference. So when people say that it's rigged, yeah, it is. But it's not rigged the way you think. It's not one party rigging it against the other. No. They all rig it all the time against working people. Yeah. That's how this is. But to me, and that's part of the problem with the pro-dem sort of tribalism, is that, again, you're drawing divisive lines where they don't need to be in terms of working people, regular people, and the major issues. And, and it would be one it's thing- It's frustrating. Yeah, and listen, I would totally be on board with what you know Rachel was saying if there really was this- all-out attempt by Biden and his administration to do everything that was necessary to mitigate the problems. But they're not only not doing anything, they're doing less than nothing. And so we have to be, either we're going to be completely honest about what's going on, or we're just going to be tribalistic. He literally is still building the wall. Like he's continuing that program. Like there's, yeah, she didn't want to address that. No, there's there's a lot of things that, that have been happening under the radar. That How about he, the fact that he's issued, and he's only been president for less than two years, he's already issued more drilling permits than Trump did. I mean, that's pretty freaking like, bad. bad. <laughs> you know, and it's just, there's certain things where I really, she draws the dividing line in, in this faux color war, and the dividing line is people like Nancy Pelosi, every bit is the problem is people like Donald Trump. Yeah, it's like the it same problem. If the, if the issue is about saving women's right to choose, then you as the standard bearers of the party cannot be going to South Texas to defend a anti-choice, A-rated NRA under FBI investigation, corrupt corporate incumbent. And then wonder why, and see this, I feel like what pisses me off the most about the Democrats that bothers me is they have zero accountability. They None. take no accountability for any of it. It's all on the other side. And like, it's just, 
it's absurd. And it just, the evidence doesn't support that. We've had super majorities. And I, I just, it's very frustrating. And yes, I am still registered as a Democrat. Um, if I run, it would be as a Democrat. But I, I won't give them a dime. I'm not going to support their just tribalism in their program when they're not helping people. I'm just not. You know, it's it's nonsense. They don't represent labor. They represent the reason we're in this. I mean, don't get me started on Bill Clinton and don't bring him back. But I'm just saying it's like how much of our real like corporatist problems when he sold out the party to the highest bidder. And just he is so many of our problems to me stem back to Bill Clinton and neoliberalism. And yeah. And I just, it's infuriating and Democrats refuse to accept responsibility for this. It's sort of, well, it's also because the Clintons, let's be honest, after what just happened with this trial, it just goes to show you that they are still pulling the strings in DC. I'm I'm just so disgusted. I'm just, that's not, you can't, that's not even up for debate. No, that's that, that case, like I said, regardless of whether or not what, Sussman was brought to trial for whether or not you believe that meets the level of criminal behavior or should have been prosecuted. The fact that there were multiple people connected to the Clintons on the jury. That's insane. That's insane. (laughs) Could you imagine a jury with three or four people that were connected to Trump? I mean, guys. And they're so sanctimonious. Call call balls and strikes. Either you're going to call balls and strikes or you're going to – this is going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. Oh. Because if there's one thing I agree with Jen on is that if there's one thing people are really sick of when it comes to the Democratic – the faces, the leadership of the Democratic Party, the leaders of the Democratic Party, one represents Silicon Valley. The other represents Wall Street. You are talking about the ultimate in sanctimony. And I don't see anybody even pushing lightly to get Schumer to bring H.R. 8 the – Universal background checks bill to the floor. That's actual legislation that could help mitigate some of these mass shooting problems. But they don't do that. They don't even do that. They don't even mention it. And right now you have somebody who actually could at least put that out there and be, but they don't do that. They are too busy worrying about things. And this is really when Bernie should be stepping up right now and saying, well, I think we should bring this bill to the floor because it's important. No, you're, they're fundraising off of it left and right. I cannot tell you, like our between our representative between the Roe v. Wade issue and this, she's got to make, she's bringing in money this month. She's making bank. Like this is what they do. They grandstand on these things. It's very infuriating to me. Yeah. And they're not. And you do not get to hold yourself out as pro-choice, and then campaign for Henry Cuellar. That's not a thing. That's just not a thing. So people like Nancy Pelosi, they do not support our right to choose. The Democratic Party does not support our right to choose if they're campaigning for Henry Cuellar. Sorry, that's just ridiculous. You can't have it both ways. Yeah. And like I said, you know, it it would be one thing if we were having a, you know, what I would call a a healthy discussion, you know, one that could have had, you know, like an honest banter about disagreements. Bernie's not a Democrat. Yeah. That's the problem. The thing is, um, you know, unfortunately, where the conversation ultimately would have went with somebody like Rachel probably would have ended up getting ugly. And so there's really no point to- He that. had to sort of like remind me that it's not worth getting into it. Like yeah. I, he, he, you were, you, you were good. You're like, all right, I'll handle this because I was just sitting here. It was, it wasn't as bad as when I'm talking to people who, you know, no, it's been don't, hard. We've had it worse. I mean, I wasn't thrilled with having to like debate healthcare, you know, recently or not debate it like that. I I can't, I I can't. Yeah, Mike was a real letdown. 
He really was. It but was then again, you got to But you know what? We really only knew him in one capacity. Yeah, we didn't know him politically. And so, you know, but, you know, I, I there's certain things I don't want to debate anymore. Healthcare is really almost at the top of my, that's up there with like, you know, evolution. I'm just done debating healthcare. Chris, we're going to leave the show on this note. Yes, Pelosi is great at whipping votes because almost everybody is bought by corporate power and she can just, riot, you know, basically. She doesn't them whip them for anything good. No. She's not whipping them anywhere. We need to be them whipped. Let's just remember that we're doing what we have. Uh, please don't do Oh, and by the way, and last, 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 last thing. Last thing. Paul Pelosi, that's right, her husband, was just arrested for DUI in Napa Valley. Almost killed a guy driving like a maniac. And of course, nothing's going to happen to him. We all know that. Uh, but it is kind of interesting how they just, uh, you know, they're able to get away with what they get away with. And uh, yeah. But by the way, if you guys haven't checked out our TikTok, make sure that you go and take a look at generational yeah, change. We're, we have a thing now. We have, right? We have a TikTok. Yes, we do. And it's and it and it had it had its first viral moment, which is great. Yeah, and we're we're, we're trying to work that because I mean, really, that's where the young people are. We need to get the young people. So if you guys can check us out there, follow us there. Uh, maybe leave a comment, like the video. Uh, you know, that's uh, helpful. That's going to be very helpful. Uh, yeah, check us out on that. I I mean, is that a, is that an app thing? TikTok. Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. Okay. All right, don't yeah. laugh at me. You're, you're a little out there, but hey, yeah, you're doing good on there. You know, you got some, uh, got some good traction. Pretty quick. I mean, we've already gotten almost 500 followers. You know what's so. really what's really ironic about it? Like, I'm very out of touch with that kind of thing. But when I meet anybody of that age in person, we get along swimmingly. Like, when I went up there to the college Dems or whatever, you know, the UF? group at North No, at Northwestern. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, I don't necessarily understand their tech, but in person, I real I'm not a dinosaur. In person, I get along great with young people. Actually, cool. You, our whole campaign was young people. Yeah, it was. We did well, but we uh, the young people dig me. You know, I'm gonna. You know, the cannabis thing won't be novel. Isn't novel anymore. But I was still into it first. <laughs> well, John, we appreciate it. Uh, and anybody else who wants to follow us on TikTok, we'd appreciate it. Obviously, uh, we hope you all are. Staying safe and well. We will see you on Monday. Uh, we're going on a field trip next week. We're going on a field trip to Orlando next week. We're going to Orlando. We're going to watch this a Special Olympics um, soccer portion. I just really want to make sure that it's his portion and that we're not, you know, not that I don't want to watch anybody, but I kind of want to make sure if I'm going. And then we're also going to go to the cookie place. Scat, do us a favor. If you're going to troll here, troll us on TikTok too. We'd appreciate it. That would be great. Yeah, do that. Do that. That's Declan. Yeah. <laughs> um, if we lose Roe v. Wade, the Biden vote was irrelevant. Trump is. A, well, that's the, you know what? And that goes back to uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg not retiring in Obama's second term. And it also she should goes, have retired in 2013. And it goes to the Democrats rolling over and playing dead when he appointed Merrick Garland. Yeah. And there, there were a lot of things. It's about them. Um, Paid opposition, Paul. They, they opposition. they've basically allowed all of Everyone Trump's this judicial all, appointments at yeah, every level. Rubber stamp all of them. They really think that this is all the G and listen, this is not excusing the GOP. No. But guys, this is what happens when oligarchs are able to take over our country. They took over our country. This is a result of Well, no, it was they bought it. 
Yeah. I wouldn't say they took it over. They bought it. Yeah, they, but they people were like Bill to, Clinton sold it. Reaganomics and Clintonomics is how we got here. They sold and it. And other people just made it worse. Yeah. George W. Bush, uh, Obama, Trump. It's just get, it's getting worse. And now worse. Biden. It's just getting worse. Oh my worse God. And worse and worse. You guys thought it was bad when Trump was president. I'm not even sure what Biden does. It's actually just as scary, if not more so. Are you going to have a thing? Because if you're going to have a thing, I'll put what? up your graphic. My graphic? Your, your, you know. Oh. <laughs> Just don't get me all started. I thought I'd only save that for next time. You can do it. Yeah. All right. I just, it, he's just useless. I don't think he's actually doing anything. And I really don't. He's doing next to nothing. And Connell is a train wreck. And Pete's, uh, it's there, there, this is like, it really feels like Saturday Night Live. Like they're a farce of themselves. They're ridiculous. Like I, Hillary is like the evil queen at the top. Like she's like the wicked queen at the top. Like they are a farce of themselves. Pete is like, I don't even know where to put him in that. He's kind of got like for, Lord Farquaad tendencies. You know, he's definitely a small man. There's a lot of small men. Oh God. It's so unfortunate. Yeah. And again, uh, we agree, Paul. It's um, it's it's really bad right now, and again, um, we're not able to. He's deporting put, people left and right too. Yeah, by the way. that's the other thing. Yeah, Biden's also the he's he his deport. You know, this is the thing that people forget. Everyone thought that Trump was going to deport everybody. Uh, Biden and uh, Obama are much much worse. Worse. I <laughs> so I now I judge you by how you treat the least of these. Yeah. That's how I'm going to judge you. And and fundamentally, I don't care who's what, where, in-house, in power, is a parliamentarian or whatever. If you had a president that had a give a shit and had this level of control, things would be better. He doesn't give a shit. But they don't give like it's all of them. None I'm not of them sure care. he's capable of. Well, right. I mean, he's out there, but I'm just, yeah. No, this is bad. He's bad. And I'm so tired of people ignoring. They're all bad. They're whores. Which is why you're going to get Trump or DeSantis in 24. It's going to happen, people. It really is. And I and I wish I could. It's not like I enjoy saying I told you so. I don't enjoy that. Like, I'd rather people understand. But the Democrats have nobody. They yeah. don't. They have nobody. Like, they don't even have the idea of having somebody. They have nobody for 24. Guess we're counting on a miracle. There's no be that or nothing. Th th no, no, no. Just people have to understand you're getting one of those people. Like there is nobody yeah. that's going to. Well, again, unless there's a miracle. But right now, that's what you're going to get because that's what's coming. So I just, just people are just. I, when you have nothing, when you when you have strategists who want to come on here and say that the president is doing everything he can and it's really the voters <laughs> who suck. That's not the answer. That's actually exactly why we're going where we're going. It always comes from those who can create change. If you do not want to create change, then that's okay. But again, as I said, you know, you've got these March for Our Lives events that are coming up on the 11th. That's one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> it's just one of my what favorites. What you have to remember is that unless you're talking about real policy and you're not willing to put HR8 on the table, then it doesn't matter if no. you march. No, you can march. You just march, fundraise. And if you of go it. and march near anybody who's a psycho Second Amendment person, don't think they won't use it. 
So like I said, I, I just, it's, we're just talking about the wrong things for a change about it. And the whole thing just makes me so unbelievably sad. Like I can't even tell you how sad, like I could cry about it from thinking about it. And then they, you don't even have to put the pictures of those babies up there. And I, like, it's just, it's, it, the whole thing makes me so incredibly sad, but we need to deal with reality and what's, what we're capable of having accomplished and or getting accomplished and what we're not capable of getting. Accomplished. And again, you know, there's, um, there's really something to be said. This particular shooting is maybe the worst of them all because all signs point to it could have been prevented. And the cops didn't do their A lot of them could be. A lot of them could have been prevented. In fact, um, honestly, if you, the the simple act of raising the age to 21 would have, you would have taken a handful of these off the table just by them not having access. Because these are people that lawfully bought these weapons at between ages of 18 and 21 that lawfully purchased it, purchased them. It wasn't like they took their dads or, you know, had to get somebody else's. There's a lot of things that could be done, but they're not really that interested in it. They're interested in fundraising off of it. Yeah. Unfortunately, you can tell that there's way too many people that are still in it for the wrong reasons <laughs> and not enough that are in for the right ones. So you have to keep trucking along. Bo the fifth column, people. He did yeah. another piece. He did a great piece. I think it was yesterday going down, like, let's say a ban. Let's say we put a ban in place and talking about it again, like really trying to understand, like, He's made it so clear to me on the gun issue. There's the people that are loud on one side, loud, and then there's the people loud on the other side, and then there's the people that understand firearms. Yeah. <laughs> and those people, those people are the only people that should really be addressing this problem. And that's the thing is that you've got a whole bunch of like just radicals on both sides just fighting into the friggin' ether. And the people that really know about firearms, like for example, he went through how the assault weapons ban. Well, he can give you the numbers as to what happened during it, before it, after it. You can compare the numbers. You can look at these things. You can find the trends. You can see where it is. But what happens is when you ban them is the manufacturers make them in a different way to conform with the new ban. But it doesn't change it. So the hunting rifle that is also in the same category looks different. And most people don't see it as a semi-automatic. And it's a, But it's the same thing. And most people do not understand this. And the legislation is written by people that don't understand Firearms. What's the name of the show again? Squirmy? Squirmy and Grubs. Squirmy and Grubs. Oh, I love them so. Okay. Um, yeah. So. Oh, is that what you were asking me? That's it? Squirmy and Grubs? Yeah. Squirmy and Grubs, guys, on YouTube. Okay. But so that's the problem is that I do not want to have the gun discussion with anyone who does not have a thorough understanding of firearms and talking to people that understand said said firearms in legislation. Because otherwise, we're spinning our wheels just to make ourselves feel better, but we're not actually going to do anything. And I just, I refuse to keep going in circles with it. So. I said the numbers went down after the ban. Right. And then what? And then what happened? But there was still more gun production during the ban. So it wasn't from the stop. It wasn't from the the ban the production they increased ban, well they banned the uh, bump stocks that's what they banned. they yeah, did they it did in a few that. ways that just basically it's irrelevant and and you just we need legislation written by people who actually understand firearms you need that, that. Chris I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna debunk you right now I've seen it done I've seen it done you can absolutely make a gun in 3D I've seen it done so 
That throws that one out the window. There's a lot of things that are, that are wrong with it. Again, I, I'm yep. not, even if Here's I were to support line. it, I just don't think it'll do anything. Here's the bottom line. We make weapons in this country. It's that's our, what we make. That's what we do. And when you give $40 billion to Ukraine, I am telling you all right now, billions and billions of weapons manufacturing, including the AR-15 and the AK-47 will be made here in the United States. You are not going to stop this so long as we have a military industrial complex that makes a killing, no pun intended, off of weapons. Right, right. That's just not, it's not going to, but there's already too many guns out there. It's like you you can't, it's just not something My that's suggestion, possible. the easiest way to actually deal with this problem is to deal with the actual economic infrastructure in this country that can mitigate so much of this anxiety, anger, and resentment at society and yeah. makes people absolutely reach a breaking point where they decide to kill. But there are actual things you do. I, first of all, I do think you should raise the age to 21. I also think- yeah. I think the HRA have, bill is fine. I think you need universal background checks. I think that people, if you want a license to carry, not a license to own, but a li- you want, not a permit to have a gun in your home. But if you want a license to carry, I think you should have to carry insurance. And I think there should be statutory liability for anything that happens with your gun if you're carrying it, unless you are a law enforcement um, person. And that has to be a whole different thing that's addressed because I don't agree with the way that whole system is right now either. So um, the point is that, yeah, there needs to be a lot of regulations about it. But um yeah. And I have no problem with any of those things. Those are the kinds of things that would actually work. Ban- saying we ban all of this type of gun is only going to cause them to make another type of gun that will be could be even worse. Yeah. And find a way to conceal that fact. I think actual, that's, the, that's the problem yeah, with doing it. That's that why way. the whole thing about banning really doesn't work. But yeah, check out HRA if you haven't, guys. See, actual policy changes like universal background checks three-day waiting period, closing the online and gun loopholes. Closing the domestic partner loophole. Yeah. That's a huge one. That If you want to actually there get are things. things, if you want to make some type of change that could potentially mitigate this problem to some degree, this is how you do it. But domestic violence is a huge thing that is not being dealt with. There is a loophole for people that are not married. So um, if you have a domestic violence complaint and you're not married, there's you, that doesn't disqualify you from having a gun, but if you're married, it does. So the violence is not really being addressed. And I also don't have a problem with psych exams. Yeah, I, I really agree with don't. that too. I do. I agree with that. I, I don't have a problem with that. I think that it should, you know what? Bill Burr made a good point. He's like, you can kind of treat it like a pilot's license. You know, you, you, you have to be tested for these things. And then you start with a little plane and you work your way up after certain levels of use and, and responsibility. But I do believe there should be insurance. I think that if you want to be out carrying a firearm, you need to be insured. And I think you should be statutorily liable for anything that happens statutorily. I think I that's fair, Chris. I, I agree. I think that there is so much more that could be done yes. in terms of requirement yes. versus ban. That's where it's that's where it's at. Because that ship sailed. That ship is so sailed. You could ban them. You could start trying to confiscate them and it would take you about 600 years to get them all. We're, we're so far past Let that. Let me tell you something. Here's one thing I will say. If you try to confiscate guns, that's that's simple. Yeah, you're going to, it's that's not, simple. that's going to be, that'll Guaranteed. be the end. That'll be the end. That's when people- But they're not. Nobody's even yeah. talking about that because there's way too much profit on both ends. Our right. congressional representative takes money from the military industrial complex. So that is part of what keeps it turning. But then she has no problem marching in a mom's demand action gun rally. Turkey. But she gets money from the military industrial complex. Turkey, where the hell have you been? Been gone way too long. 
Yes. He's right. So wait, my point is, is that so we have we have a congressperson that's marching for gun control, but simultaneously takes money from the military industrial complex. Yeah. So here's the thing. You have a representative who says we need gun control, yet is completely funded by an industry that makes the guns. Right. But, so she, that makes sense. but she blames it on the GOP and the NRA. Those are the bad guys in this. And they take the rap in this because they use the program. And that's, like the, and that's the whole point like about the WWF. And, that, and that was the whole point of having a conversation with a with a Dem party strategist because it's like do not compute can't go down this road because no. it goes against the narrative <laughs> they are like they almost malfunction <laughs> i thought it was better not to but i think but we got enough out of the conversation to basically say we know where the line stops we know where the where the line gets drawn where does the line so get drawn any criticism against democratic leadership basically is not does not compute and again that's a big problem <laughs> which um, is why we can't favorable commentary about bernie though i like that that was good more people like Bernie. Hey, you got to take the wins where you can get them. I, you know what? We got to go. This is enough. He's getting hangry. Yeah. That's I what know. happens. He gets hangry and yeah. starts. Jen could go for like another hours. hour. I'm done. I'm happy. I'm just sitting here. I'm high. You want a bowl? Do we have to do anything with that? Do we have to do anything Do we have else? to do anything? I owe you money. Tell me how much money I owe you. Well, we'll do that in a minute. Yeah. I'm All talking right. to Lulu. Lulu runs the show. <laughs> Appreciate you guys. Thanks for checking in. We'll see you Monday. Bye all. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.